0: I have a joke, but I'm, I'm not going to say it lest Michael isolate it and make it the uh, intro.
1: <laughs> oh no, do it. <laughs> Sit.
0: <laughs> my joke was going to be, you complain about you're trying to watch the movie and someone next to you is on their phone and f***ing <laughs> off. Like, that's what it would be if you were in my house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you've got those really comfortable couches. <laughs>
0: Recorded in our Nerd Haven studios. This is Pop Medieval, with your hosts Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Macdonald, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? Well, Nina, it is Movember, and for those new listeners who were not here last year or the year before. Uh, we decided that we didn't want to be another movie podcast, and so we sequestered all of our movies away. We, we put them off in a quarter uh, all year long, and then only in November, or as we call it Movember, do we talk about film, and it, we're back at that time of year again.
1: That's right. It's our favorite time of year where we pick a medieval movie from the entire collection of medieval movies, of which there are hundreds and hundreds, so we never really run out of topics here. No. And we discuss...
0: Go ahead. Sorry. No. <laughs> well, what I was going to point out is, strangely, this year we had many fewer added to the potential inventory.
1: That is true. There weren't a lot of brand new movies, but there were some interesting picks.
0: There sure were. So which one do you want to talk about today, Nina?
1: Well, on the heels of our Sir Gawain and the Green Knight podcast from just a couple of episodes again, I would love to talk about The Green Knight.
0: All right. Excellent. Let's talk about it.
1: All right. Because I have a lot of questions. This was an interesting movie. And by interesting, I mean... Fantastic. Yes. I mean, I still have a lot of questions about it, but this is easily one of my favorite of this year.
0: I loved it too, actually. I really loved it. I think I'd love it if I didn't do medieval uh, lit. But there's lots of Easter eggs in there for people who, who yeah. love medieval literature and Arthurian legend and all those kinds of things. So I'm guessing that the answers to your questions might also illuminate things for some of our listeners. So what do you got for me?
1: I'm hoping so. And it's very rare that you and I both like a movie at the same time. It's it's common that we both hate a movie. And it's common that you will like a movie and I'll hate a movie or I'll like a movie and you will hate a movie, but we rarely like a movie at the same time.
0: That's true. It's easier to get us on board with just a kind of team loathing.
1: It, yes, exactly. It's, it's more fun to hate on a movie. That's <laughs> true. But we have to appreciate a movie when it's good. And for this movie, we have to take a knee this movie is really really good it's it's masterfully written directed the sound the score the cinematography the costuming the acting just everything it just is you know chef's kiss it has to be nominated for something yes (laughs) Some, yes, some great award show whether it's the the baftas the oscars the golden globes they have to give it something
0: nickelodeon kids choice
1: Yes, sure. If children watch this movie, I'm going to give them the side eye, but okay.
0: (laughs) Wait, 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 hold on. So before you ask your first question, (laughs) I should just say, I don't think you should hold back and I'm not going to hold back. So if anyone out there thinks I don't want any spoilers, then time to stop this, watch The Green Knight and then come back and listen, uh, listen again.
1: So I'll pause here and wait for you to watch the movie and then you can come back. So pause Okay, all right. So we don't have to talk about the plot too much because the the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight really covers everything, mm-hmm. and this movie sticks to that plot pretty well. This movie kind of fills in the yada 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 part of the <laughs> yes the poem, uh, where the poem says Sir Gawain left Camelot and went on a bunch of adventures, and then showed up to the Green Chapel. This movie talks about the adventures that he went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does differ uh, a little bit here and there, but it pretty much sticks to everything. So let's not let's not get too much into the overall plot. I do want to talk about the themes and the the nuances here. The first and foremost thing I want to talk about is the theme of games that we talked about in the the podcast of, of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. The theme of games is dropped in the movie, although that is in the movie, it's more like the theme of Manhood and knighthood picks up where that left off, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. And so for example, in the poem, Gawain is essentially tempted by uh Lady Bertilak three times. And then there are because of that there's three exchanges of gifts in the hunting scene. That's all that's all kind of squished down to one one and done for for each of them. So that that yeah. part is really truncated quite a bit and it's not as thematically important. There's a couple times that that they reference it being a game. I believe uh, Arthur says to Gawain, Remember, it's just a game. Uh, but except yeah. for that, there's very little.
1: Yeah. On the subject of names, by the way, if you watch the credits, because I, I like to watch the credits to see who's who and which actor I can identify, and like Lady Berteillac, Lord Berteillac, they're not really given names, and neither is King Arthur or you know Lady Guinevere. They're just credited as King and Queen, and I think it's Lady of the Manor or Lady of the House mm-hmm. and Lord of the House, and also Lord Berteillac or the Lord of the House. He is not the Green Knight as he is in the, the poem.
0: Yeah, the face... I am actually not certain that he isn't supposed to be uh, as he is in the poem. Mm-hmm. Because the face and voice are very similar. But he's certainly played mm-hmm. by another actor. Uh, another kind of... And this yeah. leads to some real ambiguities that I can't answer for you. So, for example, there's a little variation on Gawain's heritage. Uh, but yeah, normally his mom... Is Morgase more commonly, mm-hmm. and Morgan Le Fay would be his aunt. And I think that's pretty clear in the in the poem. It's not clear that his mom's Morgase, but what's clear in the poem is that Morgan Le Fay is not his mom. So because mm-hmm. the character here is credited as mother, I don't know if it's postulated that Gawain's mother is actually Morgan Le Fay uh, in this telling of the story. Or if Morghese is filling in the role of Morgan Le Fay here. Because she's just mother. And so mother is both Morghese and Morgan Le Fay, I guess, in in this one. Kind of mushed together.
1: Right. And before we get into that, because I I had questions about the lineage. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems as though it's very well telegraphed that Gawain's mother is the one summoning the Green Knight in the first place. There's that very elaborate scene in the beginning where she's doing her, for lack of better words, witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Once she is done with whatever she's doing, the Green Knight appears. Mm -hmm. So are are we to assume that she is orchestrating all of this for the betterment of her son or to sabotage?
0: Okay, so in the poem, Gawain is just a pawn in the poem basically yeah. Morgan Le Fay just wants to test Arthur's court and I think she's got some ill will toward Guinevere and some weird way thinks it's gonna cause Guinevere some trouble and she has no reason to expect it's gonna be Gawain her nephew and it doesn't seem like she much cares anyway about that in this case she does seem surprised I, I you know I was trying to note that that she seemed surprised when she when it ended what had gone down it and then she she gives the uh the green girdle to Gawain and so it seems to me that what we're led to believe is that she did orchestrate everything but she doesn't expect Gawain to jump up and say I'll do it and then mm-hmm. when that does it then she starts orchestrating everything for his betterment after that but that the original green knight I don't think was sent for Gawain she has no reason to to believe yeah to think that they're going to have this moment where King is gonna have him come sit next to Arthur. I'll just call him Arthur, where Arthur's gonna have him come yeah. sit next to him and that he's gonna that of all the people to jump up and say, I'll do it, that is gonna be him. And and there was a kind of expression that I took to be surprised when she removes the the covering on her eyes that caused yeah. me to think that she did not intend that part.
1: Okay. Going back to what you were talking about, who is she? I I mean Arthur when he for clarity's sake, I'm gonna to refer to him as, as Arthur and mm-hmm. His queen is Guinevere, too. He pulls Gawain aside, Gawain being his nephew, and says, you're my sister's son. So his mother is Arthur's sister, right?
0: Yes. That's that's okay. how I understood it in here, which is why it's a little confusing. Uh, the, yeah. the heritage, I mean, the heritage can still work because as soon as you start to say, well, that doesn't make sense because of XYZ, <laughs> Arthur's family lineage... It's a little messed up. So you can actually make yeah. any, any of these possibilities work. But I'm led to believe that she's his sister.
1: Okay, because if you remember your Arthur lore, isn't it Mordred that is Arthur's son? Is it Morgan Le Fay's son as well?
0: So, uh, so for example, say Mallory. <laughs> I know it's super complicated. Yeah. And they're not all exactly the same. I know. So uh, exactly, I would say the, the trad way of doing it is... That, mm-hmm. that Morghese and Arthur kind of accidentally sleep together and you get Mordred. Whoops. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll just call it accidental, it's complicated. <laughs> Uh, and so Gawain mm. is kind of Mordred's half-brother in that way. And so Gawain truly is just his his nephew. There's no other kind of like okay. nephew-son nephew, situation, son. yes, okay. which you get elsewhere. And a lot of that messy stuff seems to be gone here anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I don't take this as a family drama. No. I take this as more of just a folk tale in the arthur cannon mm-hmm. i'm guessing yeah
0: okay. I think so
1: and then just one more question about his mother because this is fascinating i love what they do with this character who she doesn't have too many lines but she is a big part of this story is she following him through the fox
0: so when the fox spoke i took that yeah. to be her I did too. But I went through the credits and couldn't find a voice actor for the Fox. I don't know if you saw a voice actor for the Fox. And I,
1: I did not yeah. see. Yeah, I wasn't looking, but I didn't see anything off.
0: Him. So I take the Fox to be her. But mm-hmm. for me anyway, that's ambiguous. Okay. And the Fox certainly doesn't okay. talk uh, elsewhere.
1: No, it's just that one warning at the creek side. Well, and I think,
0: I think also one other indication that the Fox might be her besides all of those elements is the fox starts following him and when the fox is following him he gets to the house and the fox can't go into the house once we get in the house mm-hmm. we have the blindfolded old lady she's mm-hmm. not blindfolded in the poem but that's morgan Le Fay, whatever the identity of the mother is that's clearly the mother by the same kind of blindfoldy magic that we saw before and so then when We get out to the hunting scene where he's run away and the green knight then says, well, I caught this fox and he hasn't killed the fox. He just has it in the bag. And then he drops the fox and says, I'll leave it to nature. If we assume, which I think we should from everything that's happened, that the Lord is working for the mother, then this is him essentially putting her eyes and ears back in there.
1: I gotcha. Okay. So then let me go back to the adventures sure. then. So, the very first, like almost the first day that, that Gowan leaves, mm-hmm. maybe it's the next day because he, he leaves on horseback and then he's camping for the night. And I think it might be the next morning or so. He encounters that scavenger. Yes. Who's played by that very interesting looking Irish actor mm-hmm. who's usually cast as interesting characters too. I believe the role is scavenger. I, I... He's
0: credited as scavenger.
1: Scavenger? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. He tricks he tricks gowan into going into the woods and he's attacked by the brigands from there his shield and his axe that he got from the green knight are the shield is destroyed Mm -hmm. and the girdle is stolen he's like ripped from him and wrapped around the the scavenger The axe is stolen and as is his horse. I took that to mean wherever he's going, the Christianity that he's been blessed with because the shield has been blessed. You see that very intricate scene where it's been splashed with holy water and incense and the like. Wherever he's going, the Christianity that he comes from is not going to protect him. He's now in something otherworldly and something magical and witchcrafty. Did you get the same from that?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the complicated elements of this film is that it plays around with time a lot in
1: mm-hmm.
0: alternate realities in things not actually happening in the sequence that they happen in. I mean, we have the shield, the very famous shield. Guinevere literally describes it as it's described in the poem. And as we go further in, you know, we start to have more shots of things upside down and things start to get weirder and weirder and weirder uh, as we go further in. So I, I think that's right. The thing about the scavengers that I'm not certain about is... Well, first, let me just point out something from the very beginning of the film. So in the beginning of the film, we see a... Out of a window, we're looking at kind of like a barnyard. And up in the corner, in the distance, we see a little fire break out. Now, we have just seen Gawain. We've just seen Gawain sort of catch on fire in the future, presumably. Or in a dream sequence, I guess. Maybe a dream he's having. And then Mm -hmm. the fire gets bigger and bigger. And then before... So before we we pull into Gawain, we see a couple come in through a door, get on a horse. Uh, The man has a sword. And we don't, they're kind of a Mm -hmm. little bit in the distance, so we can't really see them clearly. And then we pull in through the window and we see Gawain sleeping in the brothel. Now, Mm -hmm. when I saw this in the theater, my assumption was that what we were watching is Gawain's future. So then Mm -hmm. after I saw it and we had the dream sequence of him catching on fire and everything, this is his future. Essentially, he legitimately catches on fire or something symbolic enough for that, that then... This happens. And so already we have time being messed with. But in fact, now that I was able to uh, get past the other movie patrons and and watch it uh, at home, (laughs) I was able to look at the credits and see that those two figures there are credited as. Helen in Paris and so what we're seeing in the background is not the future. We're seeing the far distant past. That is Troy mm-hmm. burning in the background.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: which actually makes a lot of sense because the opening of the poem starts by talking about the sacking of Troy and how all that leads to a bunch of Ah, events that then lead to the founding of Camelot. Now, obviously, this is not going on at the moment that Gawain is in the brothel, right? This has to be centuries and centuries before. So we see Mm -hmm. already in that one scene, and it's a single shot. So because of that, we already know from the first scene, that time is really being played with. So when we get mm-hmm. to the scavenger scene later on, what I took that to be was, again, something out of time. I thought it might be a reference to something in in Mallory. And yeah. what I was thinking was, in Mallory, there is a a point when everything's destroyed and Arthur's laying dying, and he's trying to get his bed of Bedivere could be boars but I think it's Benavir to to return Excalibur but we have a couple lines where we're told that like all the knights are dead and just a bunch of scavengers and thieves show up and steal all their stuff and so as he's traveling through that I wondered if he's traveling through the future of Camelot at that point so that was one reading I had of it and that actually makes a lot of sense connected with what happens you know with the fall of Troy at the beginning right fall of Troy and then we see the aftermath of Camelot and then we we follow his character through there. I think another possibility, too, regarding the scavengers... And I can't nail this down, so I'm throwing this out there as a as a theory right now. But that's the Green Knight again. Because when the brigands mm-hmm. attack him, it is the one young man and two young women. And when he gets to the castle, it is a man and two woman, uh, women there. And they, of course, have Gringolet. And they, of course... Have the the green girdle and they have those elements uh, that Gawain needs. Now, the reason I'm not 100 percent certain about that is, frankly, because I can't quite figure out his mother's motive for taking it away from him, for taking the protection away from him that she really, really, really wanted him to have uh, or at Mm -hmm. least said she wanted him to have. So that that's why I'm a little uncertain about that. But I, I originally thought that that was the future of Camelot. And it could still be. I mean, there's talk about the king and the king slew this many people. And there's a battle and all the knights are dead. And good question is, okay, who's this king we're referring to?
1: Jumping ahead a little bit because mm-hmm. what you say what you're saying makes a lot of sense and to your point, when they get to the Lord and Lady's house, mm-hmm. the lady has this really chilling speech about the color green. Yes. Cause she's asking, you know, why why the color green, you know, why do we scrub it out of our bodies? Why do we scrub it out of our walls? What she's really talking about is time yes and she's talking about how we try to stop time we try to avoid time but it's going to come for us it's not just going to come for our bodies but it's going to come for everything mm. and we can't avoid it and it's just going to ravage us it's uncaring it's unfeeling it's all part of life i'm guessing that just is that's really just the center argument the center theme for this movie the constant playing of time as soon as he leaves for for his quest then time starts warping
0: yeah i think that i think that makes sense and he runs into all sorts of weird adventures that that seem out of time
1: yeah and that's her warning to him is Mm -hmm. like you're this is what you're experiencing right now is you're trying to run from it but you are not going to be able to escape it Mm mm-hmm then now jumping back, after his adventure or his encounter with the brigands, he goes to a a cottage in the middle of a wood and he encounters St. Winifred.
0: Yes, I I could not. I actually had to do a lot of deep research to figure out if there was any connection mm-hmm. at all. I mean, I I teach this thing every year. She's not mentioned directly in the poem in any way.
1: Right. However, right.
0: It is said that he goes past a place, essentially the Holy Well, uh, mm-hmm. which is a reference to that pool where where he pulls her head out of. So St. So Winifred is an earlier, I think she's Welsh, saint. The version she tells of what happens to her is a modified version of the story. The, the basic story is she's one of these, there are a lot of saints, especially uh, classical and early medieval saints who... There are young women, or actually sometimes young men, who want to keep their virginity. Sometimes they have an arranged marriage. Sometimes they have an over, uh, over-aggressive over suitor or something. And then persecution and often martyrdom occurs. As I recall, in her case, what happens is it's not a traveler. It's some guy who wants to, wants to marry her. And she becomes a nun instead. And he gets mad and cuts her head off. And... Unlike here, where I, I think it's implied that like he throws the head in the pool or something. As I recall mm-hmm. in the original Saint's Life, the where the head goes, a holy pool appears there because mm-hmm. her head is there. And so I think part of it is just, well, there's this vague mention of this place, so I guess he went there. But also part of it is, this has to do with losing your head, cutting off your head, and what right. you should do or could do for that. There's a wonderful moment when she says, well, you go in there and fetch my head and he says well what are you going to give me for this and she responds by saying why would you ask me that why would you ever ask me that
1: yeah i love that line yes
0: i i agree And, and aside from everything else it gets it kind of who who he is and what he has to grow into grow into being um but then later on of course i know we're skipping ahead here to the dream sequence but when we see the future sequence of what will happen mm-hmm. if he continues down the path he's on, uh, the second woman that he marries is essentially St. Winifred, right? Uh, or
1: yeah, very similar. Someone who looks. looks
0: very similar to her. And I think there's a sense of corruption even of that, right? So where yeah. as he's going along, we, he comes to this holy will. He does a good deed. He takes a little prodding, but he does a good deed, a horrifying good deed. Uh, but he does a good deed and then... That's good, but if he keeps going down the path he's on, he's going to undo all that goodness and bring nothing but corruption.
1: It's implied that the lord that uh, kills St. Winifred in the movie is the brigand, the scavenger from the the previous scene, too. Because you see, he fi- that's where he finds the Green Knight's axe.
0: Yes, although mm. she asks, is it you? So mm-hmm. I think it's the possibility that it didn't happen... In the in-between also, Mm -hmm. that it happened in the past and then in the present too. Uh, That definitely is another place that feels out of time.
1: I do want to mention the giants really quick before we go on to the... Okay, so I I love this scene because it's brief. After tripping balls on uh, mushrooms, because we're not quite sure if he actually sees these giants, but... He's seen some weird crap lately. Gowan and his fox companion, who's been following him around for a little while, they see these giants traversing the valley. They're naked giants too. I thought I should point this out. He approaches the giants and just kind of says, "'Hey, can you give me a ride?' Mm-hmm. And he, he treats this like, nah, no big deal, I, you know, just give me a ride across the valley.'" And then they sing a song, like the fox calls out to them, and then they kind of call out in harmony. They harmonize with the fox. I could not figure that one out. I, I'm like, eh, I gotta ask Doc about that.
0: Okay, so before I get into the time issue with the with the giants, <laughs> how how I understood that was, he asked the giants to give him a ride, and then when yeah. one reaches for him, he flinches back, and she doesn't, oh, and she yeah. doesn't, and he doesn't get a ride from them. In fact. If we take the fox to be his mother, following him around and, and, and helping him out, this is her connection with that um, magical world. This is a, a, another moment where he has a chance to pursue an adventure, or but, but his fear is is bringing him back from that, right? Yeah. Now, why giants? Well, giants are super common in Arthurian legend. They're, sometimes students are disappointed because there aren't many dragons, but there's a lot of giants. But the giants in Arthurian mm-hmm. legend are not this kind of attack on Titan giant naked lady giants. They're <laughs> they're more Goliath-like, I think, you know, or, or maybe yeah. double the size of a human. These are giants that tower above, above mountains. So they're traveling away from civilization. As he's going through this magical place, you're seeing less and less civilization as he goes out from Camelot. And we're told from Arthurian legend uh, that... When Brutus, when the original Britons arrive, the places inhabited by giants, and they have to defeat the giants, and the giants are right. heading away. The Green Knight is huge, not as nowhere near as big as those giants, right? But but he is another giant yeah. figure. I was trying to figure out because of time if either these are the giants from the distant past that he's able to communicate with. Or if these are the giants who have been defeated and are slowly moving away from civilization, pushed back. Because again and again, we see first he comes to a crossroads where there is a rotting corpse in a cage. From that, I think we're led to believe, well, there's the cage. So it's still some civilization, but we can see people are getting less civilized. And then we start to see like trees being hewn down, the places being deforested. And then later on, it's people hewn down. And so we have this almost the same scene. So I think we're moving further away. And I think another possibility here is that these are the giants that the Britons have defeated and they just have, are getting pushed further and further away. Yeah. Like Bigfoot who is totally real. Uh, and <laughs> uh, I, I was about to say, no, I don't believe that. And I don't, but you know, I don't want angry letters. So keep your angry letters yourself. Oh God. Oh, engineer Mike is about to uh, get on here and talk about going squatch hunting. All right. So. <laughs>
1: There, no, there is that theme of decay up until you get to the Green Chapel where everything is lush and green and beckoned again.
0: Yes. I also noted that the Green Knight's manor house or castle, mm-hmm. it is described as sort of being this magical, beautiful place. But in this case, it's way nicer than Camelot. It is so much nicer yeah. than Camelot.
1: Oh, yeah. Camelot has fallen apart and decayed and, and, and rocks are coming down and it's mm-hmm. just dirty.
0: And it looks more modern. I mean, it looks like Mr. Darcy's going to come around the corner at any moment. And I wondered if it wasn't just supposed to be magical and clean, but in fact, a little out of time in, in that same way. Uh, there.
1: Yes. So before he gets to the Green Knight and he has that dream sequence, which I do want to talk about. Mm-hmm he makes it to the manor the lord and lady's house the lady and essel the sex worker the prostitute who has a role a new character made for the movie played by the same actress alicia vikander again same kind of theme going for her in the poem as it is in the movie where she is actively pursuing Gowan, trying to get him to sleep with her, trying to get him to break his knightly vows, even though he's not a knight in this movie. It's not Sir Gowan in The Green Knight. It's not Gowan in The Green Knight. It's just The Green Knight. This actress as Essel has a really good line that I think encapsulates the entire movie. She, She says to him just before he leaves... She gives him a a bell like a little trinket to remember her by and she says why are you doing this and he says well to be great and she says well why why is goodness not enough and the lord of the house kind of echoes the same thing after the lady's speech and he says you know why are you doing this and gowan says oh i don't know honor (laughs) and the lord says are you asking me or are you telling me this it's a really good exchange like even gowan doesn't know why he's exactly doing this so i love the actress is essentially playing the same role trying to get him to figure out who he is as both a man and as a knight like why are you doing this what does knighthood mean to you what is virtue what is honor and that's leading up to that deep that dream sequence he's he's still trying to figure it out he still has no clue
0: yes i want to come back to that when we talk about the ending of it but i think that that theme i actually think that theme gets resolved at the end uh but let's put that aside but i think that is throughout right is the question what is the value of greatness and honor versus the value of moral goodness. I also think, you know, someone asked me, since the Green Knight is the Lord Bertilak figure, right, uh, in the poem, are we then led to believe that the the lady is indeed Essel? And I, I don't mm-hmm. think that at all, but- No. But we do know that everything, we're now in an, illusion, an illusory place at this point. And if I am trying to seduce Gawain, and I'm going to use a magical, I'm gonna use some sort of magic, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it look like I'm the woman he's been sleeping with for the last year.
1: Use a glamour yes. or something, yeah, yeah. Because she even says, you know, do you believe in magic? Do you believe in witchcraft? So maybe there's this hint that the women of the the movie, maybe his mother and Essel, maybe not. Well, yeah, maybe Essel, uh, the lady of the manor. They they have this connection somehow,
0: mm-hmm. or it's just a glamour, you know, but. But either way, I don't take it to actually be that this is Essel in on the plot.
1: I don't. No, I I don't either.
0: Especially because what we see happens later on with the future that he he sees where Essel, it doesn't turn out well for her.
1: Well, let's get to that. So he, because this is what we've been wanting to talk about, because this is probably the most fantastic 10 minutes of a movie I've seen in quite a while. Because it's done with zero dialogue. Mm -hmm. He goes to the Green Knight as he does in the poem He flinches a couple of times, but instead of the Green Knight offering the Knicks, he runs away. Mm -hmm. He runs all the way back home, and you see this sequence where we're not aware that it's a dream sequence just yet, or an imagined sequence. He returns home with the girdle still on him, and he imagines what it's like for the next lifetime, really. Uh, Him getting old. Arthur and... Guinevere die. He becomes the next king. Essel has his baby. That uh, child is taken away from him, and Essel's abandoned.
0: Because why? Because she's not a lady. That's why. Because she's she's not his lady. She's not his lady.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that Mrs. Awesome was saying Um, the word
0: lady like that for probably a week after (laughs) watching
1: this. So she's abandoned, but the child is raised to be his son, like like anything. He marries a highborn woman. They have one other child. He goes to war. His firstborn son dies. His people turn on him. Camelot falls down around him. His family abandons him. Um, but the entire time, he leaves the belt on. Yes. He never takes it off. And he, finally, at the end of his life, you see him. He's old. He's gray. Just as the the people or I'm assuming it's the people of Camelot. I, I'm guessing it may also be enemies, too. They're just about to swarm and take over. He finally removes the belt and his head falls off. Mm-hmm. When that happens, uh, it cuts right back to the scene where he's kneeling before the Green Knight. And he says, nope, just a minute before you swing the, the axe... And he takes off the belt. It's it's an act of maturity, mm-hmm. or at least I don't know. Let let's talk about that. What you think? The Green Knight says, you know, Attaboy, good for you. And then instead of swinging the axe to chop off his head, he just he marks with his finger across his throat. Off with your head.
0: Okay, so I want I I want to simultaneously agree with your reading of the ending and challenge it. Okay. Talking to people, those who had read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight or at least had read it recently enough to remember the details of it, every one of them read it the same way, which is he did Mm -hmm. that, and therefore the Green Knight is not going to cut his head off. Every person who I've talked to who had not read Sir Gawain the Green Knight uh, assumes that he's getting his head cut off. I talked to a couple former students who are English teachers, and their students watched it, and the students who had read it thought that he doesn't get his head cut off, And the students who had not read it thought he did get his head cut off at the end. Now, because I think it's better to know, to come at this out of knowledge uh, than, than, than ignorance. And also I I think that we're supposed to take that act to mean something. I mean, I agree with you. He doesn't cut his head off, but Mm -hmm. it is apparently ambiguous for the average film goer. Uh, Now I'm sure out there there's someone who'd read the poems like, no, he cuts his head off in this version. Uh, or there's someone out there who had not read the poem and says, no, I, I read it the other way. I'm just saying that so far, basically universally, that has been the divide.
1: That's an unnecessary divide, but okay.
0: Well, yes. <laughs> well, so aside from the fact that in the poem, we know he doesn't cut his head off. And as that whole vision sequence is going on, I'm sitting there in the theater thinking like, wait, what? You're not allowed to do this. This can't be happening. This isn't what happens. Are you really going to change the ending like this? Uh, and yeah. to see that they didn't, and they went back to it. So what does it mean from to take off the green girdle, which is not something that happens in the poem? What does it mean in this mm-hmm. case? And I think this answers the question, do you want to be great or do you want to be good differently than we might have thought? So once she said that, said that uh, my first viewing, I thought from the rest of it, oh, the answer is going to be it's better to be good than to be morally good than be a great or to bear great honor. And, and so we see him with a lot of opportunities where he behaves cowardly, where he's pleading for his life uh, at other times, including there, et cetera. Uh, and at that moment, he sees what happens if you just have a life of honor. And so when he removes the belt, he's essentially giving it to the Green Knight in that scene. It turns out that there isn't a choice between being honorable and being good He's going to be both morally good and be honorable at the same time. And that will right. result in his greatness. It's a false choice uh, that he's been given. Agreed. Throughout. So th- that's how I read that.
1: No, I agree. And we've seen that just because you are great at being a knight, mm-hmm. you have knightly greatness doesn't mean you have moral greatness yeah as you've seen in in how he treats Essel and how he treats his people
0: yes and I will say we we do see a slow transformation of him so our very first opening when we first meet Gawain it's Christmas and he should have spent the night at mass and instead Mm -hmm. he spent his night in a brothel and he keeps telling people he spent the night at at mass, but they all know it's a lie, right? Which, by the way, is mm-hmm. totally Gawain. Gawain is sort of a famous womanizer in in the many, many Arthurian tales. There are some where he marries. And Gawain, when we get to this, the next Christmas, I think the other sign that he has grown is he doesn't just arrive at the Green Chapel. He has to wait overnight at the Green Chapel. And so essentially, he sits vigil all night from Christmas Eve in a chapel waiting for his death on the other side of that. And I think that that is a contrast, an intentional contrast to this constant refrain of, were you at mass? Were you at mass that we hear at the beginning and we know where he really was and what his lies were. And so I don't think it's just a momentary, oh, suddenly I realize. I do think we see his slow growth and that him staying there for all that time does get at that growth. He does have the honor that he lied about and pretended to have before. Mm -hmm. He is developing the moral goodness. And when the choice comes, Am I going to be that guy who treats Essel like this, who treats his people like this, who pursues honor with no moral goodness? No, I'd rather be the guy who gets his head cut off.
1: You're absolutely right, Doc. And this movie is just absolutely masterful. And I, I can't recommend this movie enough. And I'm I'm so glad it's our, our first Movember movie. Mm-hmm. So I great way to start with a bang. Let's go ahead and, and get into our recommendations sure. then. I'll go ahead and I'll start. So this is an A24 film, which uh, has been killing it these past couple of years. A24 is a studio that has started off with just you know the art house films, but it's released some really really good mainstream movies. The movie that I want to recommend by A24 is another movie with Dev Patel, who starred in The Green Knight. Is a movie called Lion. Mm-hmm. Lion is a couple years old. It was Oscar nominated. It was the one Oscar nominee from a couple of years ago that people said, huh, what's this movie? Why, you know, no one's heard of it. It was the, you know, every Oscar best picture nominee has um, at least one movie where no one's heard of it. That was the one from, I think it was 2016, 2017. Lion is a fantastic movie about a young Indian boy who accidentally gets lost. He gets on a train following his older brother gets shipped thousands of miles across the country, can't speak the language, and is just abandoned, just, just lost for a long time. And then he grows up in the company of an Australian couple, and he tries as an adult to find his biological family. It's Really, really sad, but really, really uplifting toward the end. And Dev Patel is just a fantastic actor. So, if you get a chance to see it, please do. My second recommendation is the A24 app. That's how I first watched The Green Knight um, a couple of months ago. And then I rewatched it on a, another uh, screening application. So, it's called The Screening Room, the A24 Screening Room. And you get to see their movies in um, advance of anyone else. Nine times out of 10, it's on like a, a weird night of the week, it's like Tuesday. And you get to buy tickets and see it like between the hours of 9 p.m. and midnight. So <laughs> at really strange hours so the most recent movie I saw was a movie called Lamb, which is billed as a horror movie, but it's more like a, an Icelandic folktale. Really strange, but really, really good. I really recommend it. So Lion and uh, Lamb.
0: I really the A24 <laughs> basically.
1: A24. Yep. Offerings.
0: So yep. what I have to recommend is I have to confess that Although this is the best film adaptation of Sir Garwin and the Green Knight, bar none. Or Sir Garwin in the Green Knight, bar none.
1: Garwin. Garwin. Yeah, we yes. forgot to talk about that. Yes.
0: Although this is the best. It is my second favorite adaptation, even though I, it is much better movie. My favorite is the 1984 film Sword of the Valiant, which is, to be clear, a terrible movie. I want everyone to know that it is a terrible <laughs> movie. But I mm-hmm. love it because it was as if in 1984, Sean Connery playing the Green Knight, uh, and uh, <laughs> oh god, I'm not even gonna go into everybody who's in it. As if they said the '70s aren't dead yet. Let's bring some disco psychedelic uh, stuff into this. Gawain's got this weird pageboy cut. Y- oh my god! You know god. W- you wouldn't see again for another. 20 years probably, uh, when it suddenly became popular again. It is just bizarre and crazy and stupid. And so to be clear, you shouldn't watch it if you are thinking, I want to watch a, a, a serious and interesting adaptation of *Sword of the Green Knight. You should do this if you and your friends want to half-watch something while possibly drinking. Sword of the Valiant, which remains wow. my favorite I'm... even though it is terrible in every way
1: i'm looking at the poster and now i know why people made fun of pete rose all the time <laughs>
0: yes, because <laughs> it is pete rose hair
1: holy crap
0: <laughs> this is Gowin hustle
1: this is really really bad yeah. holy crap all right doc anything else you wanted to add for the goodeth cause
0: uh nope i just want to point out that garwin in old english would mean spear friend which if you haven't seen the movie, you don't know what that is. Oh. But the weirdness that Arthur calls him Garwin, uh, I wonder if that is supposed to mean something like that. Or it could just be some sort of weird Welsh illusion that I'm missing.
1: Yeah, that, that was very distracting, <laughs> the Garwin pronunciation. That's why I asked you in the first podcast how to pronounce his name because I, I thought it was Garn and I had been <laughs> pronouncing Gawin incorrectly for all these years. It but, is
0: definitely a, a unique pronunciation of it. I'm on board for it.
1: All right. Garn and the Green Knight. We got one in the bag, and next Movember movies won't have that weird pronunciation. Yes. Really. All right.
0: West through hall, doc. West through hall, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Pop and Evil was recorded under our radio studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Luna back Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Ginwright.
1: For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash evil. That's
0: P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash pop Thank you for listening. You've just pitched to me both lion and lamb in the same... <laughs> I did. Is it the end times? What's happening here? <laughs> so see here? <laughs> lion,
1: and then see lamb, <laughs> and then uh, the seventh seal will open, <laughs> and the lamb will shout come, and... <laughs>